Out There Media Group presents Out There Radio, a weekly journey into the world of the occult, conspiracy theories, counterculture, and the bizarre undercurrents of the human psyche. It's Out There with your hosts, Raymond Wiley and Austin Gandy. Welcome to episode 55 of Out There Radio, Phantom Time Hypothesis. Mm-hmm. My name is Raymond Wiley. And I'm Austin Gandy. And it's good to be back uh, a mere week after our last podcast. Uh, this is our second video blog, so hello to everyone that's watching. I hope we got our shot set up right again. We didn't... It was a bit of a struggle. Yeah, it took a while. Like We realized that there were like ways to work the tripod that we mm-hmm. didn't know anything about. That's because we're professional filmmakers. Anyway, um, interesting show today, Austin. You know, as always, with Out There, we talk about the bizarre undercurrents of the human psyche. And uh, we've got some 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 doozies of undercurrents. Wow, mm-hmm. that was really lame. Uh, this week for the audience. Um, so, Phantom Time Hypothesis, right? Right. Uh, it's staggering in its implications, right? Phantom hi- Time Hypothesis is positing that all of history itself may be a hoax. That's right. That's right. It's like the greatest of all conspiracy theories. And, you know, as a armchair historian, I got my bachelor's degree, at least. It was one, it's, it's, it's a story that's kind of reached out to me mm-hmm. and, uh, and puzzled me. Because I don't really understand understand all the aspects of it. But, and we'll get to this at the end of the episode, it's led me down some some strange intellectual paths mm-hmm. to make some strange discoveries about J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle Earth that we will get to at the end of this episode. <laughs> yes. Um, but in the meantime... We've yeah. got to warm people up to this one. Like, it's so unbelievable. Yeah, it's true. And how do we warm people up for big stories like this? By talking about other stories for 15 minutes or mm-hmm. so. So let's talk about satanic yoga. Oh my god, Austin. Right. I never knew what what my friends, my hippie friends, were delving into when they were going to the yoga studio each week. Mm-hmm. I mean, you live in Athens, Georgia still, a college town. I lived there a long time. And I, I would look in the um, in the local magazine, the flagpole, you mm-hmm. know, and look at what classes were coming up, what meetings were coming up. And I used to count it out each week, and there'd be like 18 yoga studios, 20 yoga studios. And I thought to myself years ago, God, there's probably more yoga adherents here in Athens than there are Presbyterians, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Well, apparently, some notable reverends, ministers, and GOP political hopefuls have been thinking the same thing, and they don't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're speaking out against the newest in Satan's toolbox to seduce people into his infernal realm. That's right. Hot yoga. Kiss albums weren't enough. Mm-hmm. D&D, not enough. Yoga, fire, my friend. That's right. So tell us about E.W. Jackson. So he's a candidate for lieutenant governor in Virginia, right? And he's okay. a pastor. Um, and in, in 2008, he put out a book called Ten Commandments to an Extraordinary Life. Um, and... I gotta admit, this book has got to be a real thriller because we've got a couple pull quotes from it that are just delightful, um, including "Satan is happy to invade the empty vacuum of your soul and possess it." 
Mm-hmm. Austin, how old were you when you allowed Satan to possess the empty vacuum of your soul? Well, my first D&D campaign was probably, I think it was probably 12 or 13. Okay. Early. Beelzebub had his claws in me. You start earlier than most yoga adherents. Mm-hmm. So this guy's lieutenant governor candidate, candidate in Virginia. Yeah. So uh, African-American. So he's he's made some other interesting comments, being that he's African-American and very conservative Republican about mm. um, about gays and about how they are. Oh, I've got it right here. Sick and degenerate. Ah. Yeah, yeah, those are quotes. Uh, and he's also said that blacks should leave the, quote, Democrat Party. He has this, like, five-minute-long YouTube uh, video about this. It's been getting, like, a million views, right? Mm. And uh, he doesn't get, like, he, he, he says the term Democrat Party, I think, 50 times in the video. So he's not exactly reaching out to the educated black elite of the country. Sure. I don't believe so. I think he's, he's more for the Tea Party audience. Than anything, mm-hmm. so, but but you, Austin, you're a wizard, mm-hmm. a magician, and um, well, what do you think about this idea? Well, he he feels threatened that uh, practitioners of yoga um, will find their lives turned into a quote post-Christian spiritually polyglot reality, which is one hell of a phrase. My God, I think that's the. Like, we should change our iTunes description of this show. <laughs> Post-Christian Spiritually Polyglot Podcast. That's right. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I've got to agree with him, too. I mean, we've got other quotes from, like, Mark Driscoll of Mars Hill Church. Other pastors and okay. priests have been coming out and agreeing with this statement that yoga is, in fact, a threat to Christian values. He says, yoga is demonic. If you just sign up for a little yoga class, you're signing up for a little demon class. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, Father Gabriele <laughs> Amorth, uh, how's that for a name? Former Vatican chief exorcist agrees, practicing yoga is satanic. It leads to evil, just like reading Harry Potter. These are gateway drugs. I mean, look at me. I started playing D&D when I was 12, and where am I now? Eighth circle of the Sorcerer Supreme, initiate of yoga. I mean, I... Yeah, well, I mean, I... cautionary tale. I was worried that, you know, it was, I mean... Now that you've said that, I can see how it's the gateway drug. Okay, I mean, at first I just thought that Pastor Cummings had, like, played Street Fighter 2 too much, mm-hmm. and he thought that all that there was to yoga was stretchy arm punches and yoga fireballs. And maybe maybe that's part of it, but mm-hmm. they're hell fireballs. Mm-hmm. And but what do, what do we tell our audience about these gateway drugs? Uh, find a good studio and embrace Satan's realm. Yeah, yeah, his kingdom is uh, it's quite posh, actually. <laughs> right, well, so, I mean, it raises this interesting question, right? Like, so the way yoga gets practiced in the United States is kind of in one of two ways. One, it's stripped of all of its cultural background and any spiritual aspect, and it just becomes basically just stretching, you know. This, okay. And the Vatican released a statement, uh, I think uh, the last, the, the former pope, um, Benedict, um, said that it runs the risk of becoming a cult of the body, where only the body is paid attention to, or it's practiced in this way that still has kind of these uh, Hindu or mystical spiritual elements to it, which can, in fact, conflict with strongly held um, societal or Christian values. It does seem like yoga, practiced in either of those ways, could threaten to undermine... Your Christian faith. (laughs) I mean, God forbid, right? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I guess... 
maybe he should. And that's what E.W. Jackson thinks. Mm -hmm. So, but you get into this interesting point about the body, okay, and how cult of the body, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not just the Catholic clergy that are into this idea that, oh, yoga is getting you too close to your body there. It's also the, um, the evangelicals as well. Now, we've got this quote, and it's from, that article, from the article in The Atlantic that came out about this whole gaffe. And um, it's R. Albert Moeller, Jr., <laughs> president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. God, would I love to party with this guy. Right. Uh, sparked a passionate discussion on the topic of Christians and yoga in 2010 when he wrote, this is going to go on for a while, but let it sink in, mm -hmm. okay? To a remarkable degree, the growing acceptance of yoga points to the retreat of biblical Christianity in the culture. Yoga begins and ends with an understanding of the body that is, to say, at, to say the very least, at odds with the Christian understanding got to turn those cell phones off. Uh, Christians are not called to empty the mind or to see the body as a means of connecting to and coming to know the divine. Believers are called to meditate upon the word of God, an external word that comes to us by divine revelation, not to meditate by means of incomprehensible syllables. Ooh. It goes on, you know, to say more about this idea that... Uh, your body, you better just get away from it. Because if you try to find God or spirituality in that, you are unchristian. And theologically, I mean, that sounds like what is what is uh, right. old JC say, you know, be in the world but not of it, right? There's this whole idea of kind of the real stuff comes after your body goes away. When you're dead, that's where your reward is. The idea of embracing the body as some kind of perfectible vehicle on earth is a little too body positive for traditional biblical values. It's true. It's true. And um, which is why the whole thing is kind of annoying. <laughs> Basically, I mean, and from a just from a purely PR point of view, Austin, like what are we going to drive all the yoga people out of church? Not a good not a good move, but um, I guess it's all about these people sort of showing their true colors and, mm -hmm. and some of these the more negative aspects of this philosophy showing its true colors. Right, and how well. it brings out a fear of something as simple as learning to stretch your body. Mm -hmm. you know, And God forbid there also be some spiritual or mystical element to it that might allow you to stretch your mind a little bit. Well, remember, Austin, if you empty your mind, you become the open vessel for Satan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, can you tell us about some of your experiences with the Dark Lord and yoga? <laughs> Um, well, I can only reveal so much um, to non-initiates, um, but uh, I can definitely say that uh, Aleister Crowley would wholeheartedly agree that yoga is a, a straight line to the acquisition of magical power. I didn't even think of that. Right. Like yeah. the whole the whole AA, that whole magical order, right, which you can check out on the internet if you, if you want to read more about it. It's like the OTO, right, but it's, it's like singular based it's not like group based mm -hmm. and uh that most of that is sort of 19th century victorian versions of yogic practices right absolutely yeah and we all know crowley's the beast himself so mm -hmm. and he viewed the entire practice of magic to be a like training for being able to do yoga now we know. It's like the highest level mm -hmm. of Satanism. Right. Satanism <laughs> isn't the gateway. Yoga is not the gateway to drug to Satanism. It's the other way around, in fact. 
Oh my god. These I mean, this is blowing my mind. This is blowing my mind. So but I gotta say, like, I'm really kinda the the more the more these clergymen get into this whole like God is this external word that you cannot come to any understanding of naturally of your own self or by exploring your body or your own mind that it has to be given to you from the outside. I mean, of course, a, a, like the clergy is going to say that because that's their whole function within society is mm-hmm. to dictate what you're supposed to think and how you're supposed to feel about God and Jesus and all this stuff, right? And um, by saying, oh, well, you can go within to find something greater, Oh, that's that's the greatest heresy of them all. Mm-hmm. I mean, and once upon a time they were picking on the little guys, you know, the heavy metal kids and the D and D players, but now they're going after the big names. I mean, think about the number of yoga practitioners out there. What are they going to go after next? Frozen yogurt. It's true. The more and more they push, the more they're going to alienate like younger and younger people who don't have time for that kind of nonsense. But they don't worry about alienating people because they have a mechanism for converting and brainwashing people Mm -hmm. i mean i don't want to maybe i'm overstepping my bounds for the youtubes here but we're gonna get flagged oh well (laughs) but i mean isn't that a big part of it is like you want to draw someone into your own if you're a preacher you want to draw someone into your own environment so you can start dictating to them everything about their own life Mm -hmm. and forget about any other message i mean that's the thing it's like you made the argument here that yoga well, it might be kind of this other religious or spiritual path in some ways. You know, Christians make the argument that it's mutually exclusive, whatever. But then if you take the argument and go back to the things we were talking about first, like D&D and KISS records, like, you can't find it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, how does playing D&D get me off my spiritual path again? You know, I guess I was dark elf mage. Yeah, it was the gateway to Satanism, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, your true colors come out when you roll up an elf. It's true, and those colors are green, because I mm-hmm. think that's the color of D&D elves' skin. But you know what? Okay, <laughs> we're not even going to get into D&D elves, Austin, because those aren't the elves that we're looking for in mm-hmm. this episode. But anyway, that's that's for the the final segment. Where we're going to be questioning the underpinnings of the most sacred book of them all. That's right. That's right. The tale of years itself is coming into question. So, um, so before we leave, let's let's give all the Christians out in the audience a little bit of hope. If they still want to wear their see-through yoga pants and get their Pilates on and not have to question their Christian values, there is an alternative called Christian Moves. Oh, damn. <laughs> I bet it's a blast. Real focus on the family. Fun time, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Are we going to try it out? I think we should. Let's see if they'll sponsor us. We'll be right back. We're back. Episode 55, Phantom Time Hypothesis. Right. Ready to blow everyone's mind. That's right. Can you tell I've been watching Space Ghost all week? That's good prep for this, yeah, this V-block. Yeah, gotta, you got to pump it up mm-hmm. a little bit. So, wish I had power bands. So, I'd maybe zap you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, Phantom Time Hypothesis. Austin, perhaps the craziest conspiracy theory we have ever, ever, ever covered on Out There Radio. Certainly one of the most ambitious theories that we've come across. Yes, and one that 
I mean, not even I can totally wrap my head around it. The more I think about it, the more I, my brain just kind of turns to mush. Like, it, everything gets slippery. Yep. It's yep. impossible to contain it in your own mind. You would, because it questions the very underpinnings of everything we know about the world, all of history. Yep, yep. Now, instead of just building this up mm-hmm. forever, we should actually talk about maybe what it is. Right. And it's so, not new. It goes back historically, no. you know, a fair ways. And there have been many different uh, interpretations of the timeline, you know, conflicting theories about this thing or that thing happening. Um, the, but this idea of a new chronology, right? It right. has its origins back with um, Nikolai Morozov and John Hardwin. Um, apparently, even Isaac Newton tried his hand at looking at, well, some of these historical records don't really make a lot of sense, um, there's got to be something up here. This doesn't seem to be the way things actually happened because of mistranscription or various scribes just kind of um, overhearing something or misreading something or miswriting something. History becomes distorted. Yes. But it isn't until our good friend Anatoly Fomenko, um, born 1945 and still still working, um, does this become crystallized into... Not just uh, questioning of the very underpinnings of history, but also pr- the production of an alternate timeline. That's right. And this guy, Flamenco, has spent much of his career reconstructing the timeline. Because mm-hmm. apparently all everything that we know about history, according to this guy, and this is uh, the best-selling author in Russia, mm-hmm. okay? Everything we know about history before 1100 A.D., complete fiction. All of ancient history is a reflection of events that occurred in the Middle Ages. All of it. What does that mean, Austin? I, I don't I, even know. Yeah, I, I'm just, <laughs> I mean, so, so I, I take it that, and I read a little bit about Formenko, mm-hmm. a little bit about the new chronology, and the idea is that the things that we read about in history that may have happened or that we think happened in ancient times mm-hmm didn't happen in ancient times. They happened in the Middle Ages, and the names and costumes were changed. Right. Basically. To protect... I don't even know who. So this idea of phantom time, right? He talks about phantom reflections of different historical events. And something will happen. A king will come to power, and a war will be fought, and a story will be told, and then it's told again and again, but... Because of confusion or intentional fabrication, this one event becomes multiple multiple events and can become stretched out to fill all of ancient history, it turns out. So, what's his one key figure in this is Jesus. Right. Right, he's got this whole retelling of, it's sort of like Byzantine mm-hmm. Jesus. Can you shed any light on this? What is, what is right. that? Right, so this idea doesn't... You know, it, uh, people who are familiar with, like, uh, Joseph Campbell or Jung might be familiar with this idea of archetypes as right. kind of an idea. But this he, this individual, uh, Mr. Fomenko, uh, takes it very literally that Jesus is a composite historical figure um, who is composed of um, including uh, and the emperor Andronicus Komnimnos, um, who is apparently of, uh, like, 1585, I think. Okay. Um, oh, uh so he's a late Byzantine emperor. A late Byzantine emperor. emperor. Okay, yeah. He also com- combines stories that are ascribed to Elisha, Pope Gregory VII, uh, St. Basil of uh, Caesarea, and Emperor Jingzong. Um, also Euclides, Euclides, Bacchus, and Dionysius are all these various figures. Well, for Fomenko, they are one figure. This is one historical person 
who was an emperor and tried to pass a bunch of reforms and was largely unsuccessful in them and then was crucified just outside of Troy. Troy. Right. Which is also Rome. Which is also Jerusalem. Okay. So not only do people get, uh, you know, overlapped on top of each other places as well. Yeah. I mean, wrap your brain around concepts like this. The Trojan War and the Crusades are the same event. Okay. I'm wrapping my head. Now, this, once again, this guy has sold millions of copies of this mm-hmm. from what I've read. Right. In and in the 80s, he started publishing in like peer reviewed journals, right? And he didn't okay. get a, a very warm reception um, from the historical community. He's a mathematician by trade, you know, that's, that's his training. But he started looking at the timeline and publishing this alternate theory. And when that didn't really go much of anywhere in the scientific community, he moved into publishing his own books. And he published, what, like an eight-volume uh, yes. thing called History, Fact or Fiction? Apparently fiction. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So, it's History, Science, or Fiction. Oh, uh, okay. What it's well, called. fair, fair. But still, fiction, fiction nonetheless. Fiction is yes. Right. So, why is it, when we were talking about this before, there's a certain reason why this has been so popular. Mm-hmm. There's a... There's there's the what if and the why has, has history been changed so much? And Fomenko has the answers. We're going to talk about other phantom timers in the next segment mm-hmm. that don't really have as good of a conspiracy as to why. And, and what, what are the implications? What are the implications? If you are a Russian reader mm-hmm. of this, what are the implications of the new chronology? Right. Well, I mean, this raises the question of how it's been received. Okay. Um, The scientific and historical community in Russia has tended to say relatively unfavorable things, like Konstantin Shiko called it a, quote, embarrassment and potent symbol of the depths to which the Russian academy and society have generally sunk since the fall of communism. (laughs) Wow. Right. And Western critics have also viewed it as an incredible work of fictionalized Russian imperialism. Now, that's what I wanted to, to kind of get into. That's why it has a popular appeal, mm-hmm. right? Is this this sort of imperial element? Can you, I mean, what what is that all about? Right. So uh, people who have looked at the structure of the new chronology note that it is very different from, say, the Marxist um, structure of history, which is in and of itself kind of an alternate timeline from right. what you would call maybe Western liberal chronology, right? Um, viewing things more as powers struggling for supremacy and and the way they interact being kind of the major guiding forces of history instead of our view which is largely centered around characters wars and events right. ideologies um so this new chronology on the other hand it it presents certain figures as more central than any single historical figure could ever be and it also harkens to kind of this idea of russia as being very very much a centerpiece of all of the world's history. For instance, Genghis Khan and the Mongol horde are Russians, according to the new chronology. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's this. There is. So there is an empire. You were talking about this idea of imperialism. It, it, it sort of uh, re- reaching into that part of the subconscious or that part of the, the national pride of members of people who are reading this. So he's got this idea that there was an empire. Mm-hmm. In fact. Uh, Pre-1200 or pre-1100, whatever the date is he gives for when all of history just goes haywire. Right. There's a big Russian empire sitting right there before that. And Mm -hmm. their history has been 
lost. Right, and and yes. concealed by these German scholars who came in and fabricated all of Russian history to serve the Romanovs, who were these upstart, you know, this upstart family who took power and Tsardom and everything that you, we think we know about Russian history, including Ivan the Terrible, right, are just complete concoctions. They're combinations of various other historical right. events. So it has racial overturns. It's not just everything we know about. It's not just saying what we know about the history of the Russians. It's the history of the Slavic mm -hmm. peoples in general. And bring this sort of sense of pride into it. But uh, at what, <laughs> what cost, all right? We're just going to mix up all of history to kind of give ourselves a more central central place in that I right. mean and since he first started his new chronology you know many people have kind of asked questions like well what about these artifacts what about this what about the ancient Greek sculpture and art and he has an answer for just about everything yes the the sculptures of ancient Greece are all fabrications by Renaissance artists because I mean the Greeks didn't have the the ability to sculpt something so nice it wasn't right. until like the 17th century that we had the ability to sculpt and what does that do to your concept of, of ancient history at all like what about cuneiform tablets was it were all of those fabrications jesuit or? fabrications that's an episode in <laughs> <of> itself <laughs> right yeah all, all of arab history <laughs> and all of chinese history are fabrications by jesuits in the 17th and 18th centuries i mean we're talking from a historical standpoint like just a second ago all wow. of history was was fabricated hey sells books that it does. <laughs> that it does. So he's the. That's the Russian version. Phantom time hypothesis, new chronology. These 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 sorts of ideas seem to be a very European phenomenon. Mm. They tend to deal with different European historical concepts. And maybe after the break, we'll get into Herbert Illig mm. and his concepts of the the proper phantom time hypothesis, which is where we got the title for this particular episode. Um, we'll talk about that and phantom time that I have discovered within the second age of Middle Earth. Good. So, anyway, uh, be right back. With a teaser like that, I can resist. <laughs> yeah, you better stick around. We'll be right back. So, uh, Austin, mm -hmm. great presentation on new chronology there. Loved that. I don't I don't know how you found the time to do even that much research about any topic, though, because you've had some internet crack addiction. Don't do this, man. <laughs> some people have World of Warcraft. Austin, you have a mu mud? Is I, that the right? I can't believe you're outing me in front of all of our fans. Um, <laughs> I, like, I like to maintain the illusion that when I'm not in front of the microphone or the camera, as the case may be, that I am engaged in deep meditation and astral projection. and Right. But, uh, yeah. Crafting I magical items. May have fallen into next-level nerdery instead and signed up for a free trial of a mud that's been running... You can say what its name is. This isn't oh, this isn't CNN. Okay. I don't want to own it, but yeah, we were playing Gemstone, which is this oh, mud that came out like back when <laughs> it was before AOL was even around. You said '86 during yeah. the break. You, so this is a text-based MMO, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. There are no, no graphics. graphics. No yeah, and you just 
you, you type, type yeah get sword get my sword wear sword swing sword at orc like i mean it's it's the purest experience of role-playing games that you can possibly have outside of a tabletop it's and, amazing and like most addictive drugs you got your friends into this too I yeah, find. yeah. so you guys were literally playing as groups and if I look like I haven't gotten much sleep, it's because you tend to run for like 18 hours. Like you don't get the eye fatigue. You like slash you the, run for oh. 18 hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> like slash run, and then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. never mind. Yeah, you know how it works. I do. I do. <laughs> okay, look, I may have played some Lord of the Rings online this mm-hmm. past week, but at least I had something to look at. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. No, you'll like this. Uh, as a coping mechanism, I've decided uh, that we're going to move on back to our roots in tabletop role-playing games, and we're going to take another crack at a Shadowrun campaign, which you know is my absolute favorite campaign setting of all time. Because it's so cyberpunk. Yeah, it's and like super so melodramatic cyberpunks, yeah. but with elves, <laughs> too. You know, like you live under the shadow of these corporations, but you're also an elf. You know, it's, it's the, perfect, the perfect thing, but it's an almost unplayable system. Um, but you'll you'll appreciate that the character I'm trying to roll up is a troll, okay, um, who's involved much in, like yourself in like the, a metahuman yeah. Black Panther party called the Sons of Sauron. You well, like that? Well, we'll get we'll get to Sauron <laughs> later. Can we move on? Okay, I've <laughs> I've beat you up enough. Mm-hmm. Let's beat up Herbert Illig, mm-hmm. creator of Phantom Time Hypothesis. Oh wait, <clears throat> Phantom Time Hypothesis. Right. Um. So, we kind of jumped the gun there with mm-hmm. the Formenko section because that that was like the furthest extent that mm-hmm. people have messed with the chronology. Now, what people have heard of more often is this idea of phantom time hypothesis. Yours was the Russian version. Mm-hmm. This is the German version of, of history getting all messed up and getting lost. Okay, this guy Herbert Illig, or Herbert Illig, I mean, there's an I in there that I wouldn't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's a historian. And he's got this concept that the years 614 A.D. to 911 A.D. didn't happen. Just did not happen. Mm-hmm. Were the creation of medieval scribes. And that all of the things we used to to prove that there was this dark age, mm-hmm. right, between the end of the Roman Empire and the Middle Ages... Like all of those things are in doubt. He, he talks about how um, the science of tree ring dating is off and all sorts of other kinds of dating. Basically, any kind of dating that would prove how wacky this is and of a, how, how wacky of an idea this is, right? Um, but what I really like about it is um, where he gets this amount of time he says that we we shifted from the julian to the gregorian calendar in the 16th century and that when that happened they recalculated based on the calendar switch over when the equinox was supposed to be and it was supposed to correct for the drift of the equinox over the years because there was a few too many hours in the year in the julian calendar right well when they corrected it it didn't correct as far as they thought it was and from this Herbert Illig has postulated that they actually had added too many years in. So to cover up their sloppy math, they just added in 300 years of Dark Ages. Basically, and this includes the entire Carolingian dynasty, 
Okay. The first Holy Roman Emperor, Charlemagne. Right. Not an inconsequential figure. No, definitely not. (laughs) But a, a total fabrication. Now, we were talking earlier about sort of imperial, you know, motivations behind these phantom time ideas. Getting rid of Charlemagne would be great for a German. Tell oh, me it true. wouldn't. <laughs> Tell me it wouldn't. No, no. This is this is. We got to be serious about this. Mm-hmm. This is a serious issue, uh, Phantom Time. And there's also this idea that archaeologists haven't really found much dated to the to the Dark Ages, to the years you know about 700 to about 900, 600 to 900, um, and that. Uh, there's very little change in architecture or anything over over this period, um, and but the big thing about this is is well, why would they do this? A simple error in your math on your your changeover in the calendar system would not explain inventing Charlemagne. Sure, right. And here are two hypotheses that have been put forward about this. Hypothesis one. Okay, lay it on me. Otto III, who I believe was the Holy Roman Emperor, didn't live accidentally around the year 1000 A.D. He himself had defined this date. Good. He wanted to reign in this year because this was this suited his understanding of Christian millenarianism. Okay. So he believed that he would have a thousand years of prosperity or whatever. He, he... would be the king of the millennium. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, you got it. Um, he wanted to reign in this year because this suited his understanding of Christian millenarianism. He defined this date with the help of his famous and well-versed friend Gerbert de Arlac, later Pope Sylvester II. So powerful guys here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in reality, they lived approximately 700 years after the birth of Jesus Christ, but never until then had they had the years been reckoned after Christ. Perhaps unaware of their error and without intending to falsify, they defined one special year as 1000 A.D. Consequentially, chroniclers had to invent 300 years of history later on to fill up the empty pockets. What a great occasion for kings and dynasties. And thus we get Charlemagne. And you can design the planned future as a construct of the past. And this apparently happened. Otto III constructed Charlemagne as the model hero he wanted himself to be. I see. Supposedly he sketched Charlemagne's history only a bit, or it wasn't even but the generations after him who lined it out the full like who lined out the whole story, right? Um, especially the clergy hoped to get advantage in its confrontation with the emperor, which had started in the eleventh century. Okay. This hypo- that's so hypo- that's one. hypothesis one. Otto, Otto declares that it's 1,000 for his own imperial gain. That is so awesome, dude. That's I fun. declare that it is 1998 again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, hypothesis two. Mm-hmm. Constantine VII of Byzantium, 905 to 959 A.D., by the way, 905 didn't happen, remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Organized a complete rewriting of the whole Byzantine history. The famous German Byzantinist Peter Schreier has demonstrated how official historiography interprets this process. Beginning in the year 835 AD, monks rewrote piece by piece all the texts which had been written in, in by gr- the ancient Greeks in new forms of writings, hence called minuscula, which is the little... The little writing, right? 
Schreiner postulates that each text was produced only once and the originals were destroyed. This means that all existing texts of the then of the then leading culture nation had been changed or rewritten completely in new script in the lifetime of two generations or even faster and have been well invented, we suppose. You have to pardon me, man. Like That's a mouthful. This is all translated <laughs> from German. Mm-hmm. And so some of it doesn't read quite right. But okay, so so these are our two big Illuminati figureheads, uh-huh. right? Otto three and Constantine seven. What are, what are these guys up to? Reinventing history. The, the, but imagine it though, Austin. Okay, mm-hmm. now this is where we get into the implications of sure. this, right? Because yeah. this is where this conversation is going. What if someone did come along and just within two or three generations completely rewrite everything we knew about history and mm-hmm. just complete like set it up like? How would you know? Yeah, I mean, they say How that you controls the past controls the future, right? I mean, uh, Frank Herbert's Dune has uh, characters going around the the galaxy, setting up missionaria protectivas, where the the Benai Gesserit will um, create a prophecy among some local people, like they did with the Fremen, that say one day a Messiah will come, and it's used by the Benai Gesserit as a like a escape hatch, right? Like if they're in trouble on this planet, they just step in as the the messianic figure this is this is doing that on an even greater scale right you're just saying and you don't even need the actor to play the messianic figure you can just turn around and create him yeah uh, i mean the russian uh phantom time hypothesis also has this this idea about um kind of flipping things uh, in a in a historical progression and setting up kind of a um prophecies after the fact um for instance uh you know um well, he says that Christianity came first, right. and then Judaism. Yeah, Flamenco right? states that the the events that uh, gave rise to Christianity occur in 1152 to 1185, and then the Old Testament is a telling of events that occur in the 14th and 16th centuries, and then that's how you write in these these prophetic figures that prefigure Christ. Okay. Well, because Christ already existed, you know what he's gonna do. So easy. Oh my God! So let's 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 throw out all of these speculations mm-hmm. and just hang on to the, the kernel of this idea, which is what if what if right now someone came along and said, "I'm just going to rewrite all of history." Mm-hmm. Like, could it be accomplished? Not maybe not in the current age. I think but, we've gotten better at it. But any time, maybe before <laughs> the printing press, mm-hmm. could it have been done? Absolutely. I mean, historically speaking, we've got so many kind of literary bottlenecks, right? Where there's only one small class of people who even know how to read and write. And they're the ones that are, you know, transcribing everything that's come before and preserving it. And, you know, they bring up some interesting problems with the historical record. Like it is really hard to date things without referring to another text. You know, you wind up with kind of this web of historical documents that kind of mutually reinforce each other. But if you start to question the authenticity of even one of those, then you get into this really weird murky territory where maybe it's all just a fabrication. It becomes an epistemological malaise. Mm -hmm. It's like a dollar's worth of words right there. But yeah, you're right. And, you know, as a person who studied history for a long time, that's what really messed with my head as as we prepared for this episode, which was like, well, what does this mean? What's the implication of this and this? And it becomes this 
like domino effect mm-hmm. or house of cards effect. And if you start pulling out key elements, then everything can kind of start toppling down. But here's the thing, man, is like in the end, humans only live so long. You have no memory of what happened before you. Shit, dog, I don't remember what happened on Monday. Right, you know? exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. So, I mean, I mean, I'm, look, I'm not into revisionist history, but this is this is pretty fun, at yeah. least to play with. No, it idea. raises some really troubling questions, too. I mean, like, uh, setting aside some of these... Well, how do you know anything, Austin? How do you know anything? Because somebody else told you. Right, and and you have some criteria by which you say this source is trustworthy or not. Right. At the end of the day, you might be deceived. You know, this is a basic epistemological problem is everything is it, it refers to some other data point and that data point refers back and back and back and back and you've got an infinite regress yes um but i mean some of these things are actually true like for instance the early history of the church is largely a fabrication like there were councils called um numerous the nicene council the council of trent the council of worms you know all of these okay. things that were kind of intentionally creating the history of the church and com, you know compressing all of the various documents that came to these councils that were trying to decide well what is christianity going to be and they looked at all the documents that they had and they said mm, this one this one this one this one and not that one right so what's to stop herbert illig and formenko from doing the same thing yeah this one this one but not charlemagne and not <laughs> and not the mongol hordes and Russian Empire, hooray. Yeah. yeah. I, love, I love that this is becoming a theme that we can just come back to again and again in this episode. But what does this imply for uh, the the new death metal album of the White Wizard Saruman? We're going to talk about that after the break. We'll be right back. Well, segment four, baby. <laughs> we thought we were just going to do three, but then something happened this week. Mm-hmm. We had to add something to this episode because I made a discovery, Austin. You know I'm one of the world's foremost J.R.R. Tolkien Middle Earth scholars. True, true. Yes, I'm also one of the most badass guardians on Lord of the Rings Online. Okay, just so you know. And... My deep, deep lore master-esque knowledge of Middle-earth and this week's study of phantom time hypothesis have come together in my mind and I have formed a radical but easy to prove mm-hmm. theory. And uh, we got to refer to the... Uh, yeah. The source book itself. That's right. It's my uh, super deluxe edition of Lord of the Rings, right? Bookmark. It looks like a Quran. Kind it does, of, really. Um, anyway, Appendix B: The Tale of Years, Austin, uh-huh. the Second Age of Middle Earth. Okay, um, these were dark years for men in Middle Earth, but the years of the glory of Numenor. Of events in Middle Earth, the records are few and brief, and their dates often uncertain. Oh, oh I think yes. I see where you're going. That's right. So, you know, I mean. All you Tolkien fans, Lord of the Rings dorks out there, 
you guys have, have this vision in your mind about the second age of Middle Earth and the glory of Numenor, the Atlantean society of men who lived long, greatly long lives, but not long enough, and who eventually betrayed and rebelled against the powers of the West and had their island destroyed mm-hmm. by the uh, guile of Sauron. Right. Yada, this is, yada. This yada. is just as the Dark Lord Sauron is rising in power, right? Exactly. Exactly. In the Second Age, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so here's the thing. You've got three, like 3,500 years here in the Second Age, and it's like a page and a half mm-hmm. in the book. I mean, this is the deluxe edition. Page and a half, right? So... What I'm going to put forward is the idea that the Second Age of Middle-earth has at least 700 years of phantom time in it. And this is somewhere in the third millennium, okay? Uh, this is the time period where Numenor was said to be in decay mm-hmm. and that the, the kings had turned away from the lords of the West or their friendship with the elves or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And here's how I know. It's just it's just like Formenko and Herbert Illig, Okay. The kings of Numenor, some of them have Tar at the beginning of their name, which okay. is the Sindarin elf language. Elf language, Okay, right. right? Some of them have R at the beginning of their names. Well, I would put forth the ones that have R, the rebellious ones at the beginning of their names, didn't exist. Fabrication. Ah, yes, I see. that's right, that's right. Sauron. Yep. Yep, mm-hmm. he was captured, right? Brought to Numenor. The king R. Ferizon, the golden. He was trying to just create this extra history for himself, like the Carolinians, right? And Herbert Illig, mm-hmm. where Otto wants to be Charlemagne, while R. Ferrazan wants to be all these other kings. He's like the Romanovs. Boom. Making all of Numenorean history up. Was there even a Numenor? I mean, you can't oh. find it on any maps today, right? Sunken beneath the sea. A likely yeah. story. Like I said, man, you pull one card out, everything else comes crashing down. What if all of the Silmarillion is a lie? This is Lord of the Rings, Austin. Get it right. <laughs> we're we're going to have this fight. Because <laughs> Phantom Time Hypothesis also brings into question the new death metal album by Christopher Lee, also known as the White Wizard Salomon. Yeah, yeah right? your joke at the end of the last segment right. sailed right over my head. <laughs> so Christopher Lee has a metal album coming This out. isn't his first. Okay. But this is his new one. I mean, the, the man's like... 108. I mean, he's he's ancient, but he brings so much metal that you can't help but but be impressed by the sheer, the magnitude of his his pedigree. Um, for one, it's called Charlemagne, Omens of Death, and it is in okay. fact okay, okay, mm, it's in fact a recounting of his own family's history, which he can trace all the way back to Charlemagne, who never existed. Bam! How dare Flamenco? And illig right. question Christopher That's Lee's right. pedigree. He's been Dracula. Mm-hmm. He's been Saruman. Wait, was he Dracula? Uh, yes, he was Dracula. Times, okay, yeah. yeah, okay. And uh, he fought Nazis in World War Two. He was in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He actually did fight Nazis in World War Two, didn't he? Yeah. Well, I would like to see a duel between a uh, lightsaber duel, obviously. Ah, good. Between Count okay. Dooku and Fomenko. Fomenko. Let's, let's set <laughs> it on. up. I mean, how can Fomenko right. compare against Kurumu? The winner becomes a Byzantine emperor. <laughs> and, <laughs> and okay, so I don't think there's nowhere to, but down to go after it's that true. joke in this episode. So Austin, as I put away my deluxe. Quran of the Rings here. I think this is going to bring about our first hateful YouTube comment. 
what they're gonna what are they gonna think you're gonna get a lord of the rings fan very upset you're playing with fire you're talking about the basic underpinnings of middle earth history look if the elves had written that history i'd be okay mm-hmm. but this is men have short memories mm-hmm. you know easily corrupted easily corrupted mm-hmm. and uh so yeah phantom time second age of middle earth third millennium read about it <laughs> so <laughs> anyway um that's gonna pretty much wrap it up for this week mm-hmm. right but we want to encourage you right we've got this new format the the video blog that opens so many things i mean when we started doing out there back in the the way way back the internet was still uh, just a playground you know bulletin board services and we had that our myspace page yeah yeah which i think people weren't wait austin people weren't using <laughs> telnet in 2005 <laughs> flashing back to gemstone i'm oh, sorry dang. <laughs> but here we are we've got facebook pages and twitters and youtubes and of course out there radio.net and all of these things can be liked and shared and stumble upon and subscribe and to. most importantly subscribe that's to. right so if you like the audio version grab us in your favorite podcast catcher or rss feed reader you can get our rss feed right off of outthereradio.net same thing with if you're an itunes user subscribe you get the episodes automatically it's so nice Mm -hmm. and you can leave us you know comments in itunes and a rating and a review and tell us how we got the second age of middle earth all wrong Mm -hmm. and this is something that i'd love to try to do more with this season of out there um the past couple years have been so great you know i had this opportunity for a while there to just kind of travel all around the country and i met some of the folks that we've met through the show and it's been a real treasure like meeting folks out in berkeley up in new york and colorado and seattle and like hanging out with folks that had listened to the show before and knew who i was which is just <laughs> so validating but they were uh, also just pat cr- yourself on the oh, back girl. shut up uh, they were such <laughs> i mean we've met really interesting really cool folks we have and know? even though we're not traveling as much as we used to be you can still reach out to us on the internet we want to know. interact with you yeah so we'd love to leave interact us a with comment you, yes. if you find something truly insane on one of those other conspiracy sites uh, just give us a heads up. We'd love to hear the craziest things that you have found in the conspiracy world. We want to hear about what you're up to and what you, most importantly, what you think of the new ep- the new episodes and the V-blog. V-blog. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So also, if you want to help us out, right, because this is, I mean, obviously, Million Dollar Studio mm-hmm. here. Um You know, you can donate to the show, which is, you can get on the website, right? It's right there. You can get some of our past premium episodes, of which there's actually only one. But it is a very good episode about the structure and rituals of Freemasonry. Mm. So you can click on premium on the website if you want to get to that. And then uh, we got Mm t-shirts. I got a box full of them somewhere over in the next room, I think. (laughs) Because, please, for Iluvatar's sake, we need new paint and Raymond needs a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> help fund Raymond's haircut we, and in fact we will, we'll even do a, an auction of sorts where the, the, the highest bidder gets to decide what haircut Raymond gets no <laughs> no we'll figure this out All right, and we'll see you next week you have been listening to Out There Radio for more information or to access premium episodes please visit us online at outthereradio.net.